Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Inside Try Show with Helen Murray. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport. With in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. And we're rolling. Hello and welcome to episode 143 of the Inside Tri Show with me, Helen Murray. Each week on the Inside Tri Show, I bring you awesome interviews from triathlon and beyond. This week's guest is a very modest but rather talented Michael Broadwith. He is Le Jog or Lance End to John O'Groats, or end-to-end record holder. He also has a record for cycling from Edinburgh to London. He is a dad of four, he's a busy teacher, and he's really, really passionate about people and getting people on bikes and all the benefits that actually just being on a bike brings. So I think you'll enjoy that one. But how are you doing? I wonder if you are out training maybe walking the dog as you listen to this maybe doing some chores whatever you're doing maybe you're in the car I hope all is good as you listen to this by the way at some point over the next few months I'm going to be doing an episode all about running with a running expert but I need your questions for it so if you have any questions about technique about training trainers your form interval running stepping up to I don't know an ultra just send them in helen at inside com. so it won't work if I don't get your questions helen at inside com. see it as a bit of a running workshop so any questions whatsoever about running just message them in. Mark at Whittlefit, thank you very much. You said, oh, this was a great podcast from Inside Tri Show with David Cole and Nia Davis. Perfect listen on your next hour run. And then loads and loads of comments about the Eloise du Luart interview. And Eloise spoke very openly about the issues that she has had in the past Uh, with eating disorders. So Hannah, you said, thank you, Eloise and Inside Tri Show. This was such a brilliant listen and so many really important messages that Eloise gets across. Deb, you said, I loved this episode. So many of us have had eating disorders or disordered eating. And the more we can talk about it, the more we can acknowledge, accept and deal with it. Thank you for bringing it into the everyday. And then Rich, not my Rich, by the way, because that would be weird. Rich said, another superb episode. Katie, as well, I want to say thank you very, very much for your message. Katie got in touch, actually, after listening to the Becky Story interview. So Becky Story, 
really struggled with chronic fatigue. She was into triathlon and has now switched her focus to cycling. And Katie was saying just how good it was to hear Becky talking about her own experiences and it's given her hope and that's really inspiring as well so top stuff you can always get in touch with me it's at inside try show on instagram or twitter and facebook as well or you can email me helen at inside just before this week's interview i want to say a massive good luck to everyone taking part in the rock wales coming up this weekend and a special Good luck to James Warren, who has taken my place. He is going to be racing on my behalf. So James, it's a really nice fit, actually, because James has a real interest in cancer prehabilitation, cancer rehabilitation. Um, and with I was going to be there with Move Charity and all that kind of thing, or racing there, I should say, because I am still going to be there with Move Charity, which is all about helping people to stay active following a cancer diagnosis. So if you are going to be at the Rock Wales, I will see you there. I am really looking forward to it. I'm going to be doing the Torchlight Run on Friday, but I will not be racing the triathlon on the Saturday. So yeah, James, when you're up that walking path, do not curse me. It's good. It's good. You're going to enjoy it. Time for this week's interview. You might have noticed I haven't actually mentioned any sponsors recently, but there is some very exciting news coming on that front. So keep your eyes peeled, keep your ears to the ground, and I'll be filling you in on, yeah, some exciting things that are going to be happening with the podcast. But if you like the show in the meantime, you want to show your support, you can just sign up to be a patron over at patreon.com forward slash inside try show. So Michael Broadwith, this week's guest, he got into cycling after his parents brought him a bike after graduating from Oxford University, where he did a lot of rowing. Since then, he has won multiple national 24-hour time trials. He broke the long-standing Land's End to John O'Groats record in 2018. He also holds the fastest time for Edinburgh to London. And in the summer of 2022, he took on the famous transcontinental race across Europe for the first time. You might have heard about that on this podcast already with Fiona Kolbinger, and Anna Haslock. So go back in the archive. Two really good interviews. Back to Michael. He also has four children and he has a very busy job as a housemaster and a maths teacher. So how does he do it? Michael Broadwith, welcome to the Inside Try Show. Michael, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you, Helen. Thank you very much for having me on this uh, sunny, sunny morning. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you, Michael. How right? How is recovery going after the um, after the transcontinental? Yeah, it's been a funny week. Bits of me have hurt, and bits of me have uh, taken their time to recover. I've I've lost some feeling in my little fingers, which uh, hasn't improved at all. Um, I've had sore tongue and mouth, which I wasn't really expecting, um, and also I've got quite sore feet. Again, lack of feeling more than anything. But the one thing that's really hit me is I keep I've, I, I was anticipating finishing and being able to sleep really well and get lots of good sleep. But I haven't really had a good night's sleep yet. I seem to be kind of having weird anxiety dreams and panic attacks and things like that when I'm sleeping, which is, which has been an unfortunate side effect that I wasn't looking for, that I wasn't kind of anticipating. But um, in terms of myself, I am getting better. It's, I guess it's to be to be expected a, a long recovery after something like that. Have you ever done that sort of length of an event before? No, nothing at all. Anything. I mean, I, I've been on cycle touring holidays 
for 10 days or two weeks, perhaps even a little bit longer. But the kind of, the continued intensity of focus is is unlike anything I've ever done before. I think that's what most took me by surprise. It's that fact that you that you just can't ever step away from the concentration of what you're doing. It's all consuming. It was it was very uh, very strange, very unusual, completely different to anything I'd done before. Had you spoken to other people about that side of it? Because that's something that I guess as dot watchers, maybe we don't even you don't think about so much. Yeah, I mean, it's strange. I felt like I was quite well, I mean, bearing in mind I'm someone who's never done that kind of racing before. I know that most of the people in the top 10 or the top 20 had done at least these kind of shorter bikepacking events, but I've not done anything like that at all before. Um, But I'd listened to plenty of podcasts and I'd had some really good advice from people who've done really well in the race. But now looking back on it, I feel like the only real way to understand what it feels like to be in the race is to actually do it. Um, because it's it's a very unique feeling, kind of going to bed as quickly as you can at, say, 10 o'clock at night, knowing that you have to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and get straight back on it. And getting used to planning for that and planning to have food available to eat as soon as you get up to avoid a kind of sugar low in the middle of the night um, and just understanding how your brain will feel and the, for me especially the emotional highs and lows of the event was something that really took some getting used to and even now I mean I'm trying to get my head around all the different emotions and feelings that it provoked from being there um, and I do you know I listened to loads of advice beforehand but it's still so hard until you're in the midst of it to understand what it's like did you like did you enjoy it yeah that's a good question I've I've asked myself that a couple of times I think um there there were aspects of it that were absolutely fabulous um there were moments which were really special and overall it's something I'm really pleased to have done um there were certainly moments that I wasn't necessarily enjoying, but I was also conscious of being incredibly lucky to be in the position to go on that adventure and to be part of that race. Um, and, you know, certainly for the first two thirds of it, I felt like I was in a pretty competitive position and it was exciting to be part of that. Um, so yeah, it certainly, it certainly ticked some of the boxes that you might align with enjoyment, although, um, to, to I guess anything that lasts 12 days, you're, you're never going to have one all-encompassing word that describes it. You're going to have a kind of a vast range of emotions. And to be honest, and I'm sure anyone that's done the race would concur with this, every single day feels like a week's worth of experiences crammed into a single day. You know, it's so hard to keep an internal chronology of what's been going on or where you were you know you're you're always waking up in one country and then sleeping in another country and then going into another country the next day and you can't even remember you can't place in your mind where you were at any particular time it's so confusing um so that's not really a good answer to your question did i enjoy it i yes go on yeah I, i i enjoyed the whole experience as a package but with about 500 caveats. 
we can keep this one quiet in case uh, Helen's listening right now, Helen being um, your, your wife, but did it make you, like, has it made you want to do it again or is it too soon to ask, ask that question? Uh, I guess that's another good question. What, what does it make me think? It makes, I, I look back on it now and I, I, you know, I met a couple of really nice guys there and I spoke to them about it. And I think, uh, you know, in this, in this race, I made 100 million mistakes. I got so many things wrong. And yet I was basically rescued, probably particularly by having quite strong legs. And so I was able to just pedal my way out of trouble and still register a fairly good finishing position. And that's not being dismissive. You know, I, I know that for lots of people, they'd be really, really super proud of the position. And I'm super proud of it as well. But I think in some ways what doing it's just unlocked for me the knowledge of knowing now what I would need to do to be competitive. So, you know, it's made me think now that I know what I would need to do if I wanted to kind of run, say, top five in the race or top. Yeah, top five, I think, would be realistic. But that's not the same as saying that I want to do that um, because I've got a family and I've got work commitments and financial commitments and all of those things um and it's a huge undertaking you know it's a huge undertaking because it's two weeks away plus it's you know it's been a week of me struggling to recover afterwards but also the emotional investment in the lead up is massive you know you're trying to concentrate on preparing for it and preparing all your roots and getting your kit together and all of this stuff so I don't think it's anything that I'll do again in a hurry and it's also very hard to get a place on the race um but it's certainly opened my eyes to the possibilities. That's probably the best way of answering it. You said before about the panic attacks and the anxiety attacks that are wrecking your sleep at the moment. What are they? What are they like? Yeah, it's strange. I, I wasn't really expecting them. It's I keep just lying there, having this strange. Um, I guess this strange feeling that I haven't quite got to wherever I'm supposed to be getting to. Like I haven't quite reached the destination, whatever that destination is. Um, and that's quite stressful. And it's all very vague, but it's very, yeah, just, just anxiety, basically. Um, and I keep, I keep hoping that it will go away or that my brain will decide that it has got to that destination. But that hasn't yet happened. So um, hopefully it will improve in the coming days. It's quite boring. But um, during the day, it's fine. It's just when I'm sleeping. I don't know whether that's a... a side effect of going to sleep on the race and knowing you've got to get up quite soon so almost like a side effect of sleep deprivation yeah just I I, it's a weird one going to sleep on the race because you're always going to sleep Mm. with a slight worry that you've got to remember to get up fairly soon and I think in my head, I was going to come home and go to sleep and sleep for some blissful eight hours or 10 hours. And that hasn't really happened. I think um, the, the race finishes as well. The last two days in Romania and Bulgaria were like 37, 38 degrees. And with the best will in the world, it's so hard to stay hydrated in those conditions. And I think I, when I finished, I was very dehydrated and it's taken a long time to kind of rehydrate properly and and get myself back together I mean I'm I'm sure some other people take it all in their stride but I found those last two days very hard um and the last day especially you you, is a real different mindset you go you know you're almost just kind of ticking off the kilometers and 
making yourself eat and drink properly is so difficult because all you want to do is just get to the finish and, and call it done. Um, so, you know, I'm sure in a week's time I'll feel a lot better. <laughs> how, how did something like TCR, the Transcontinental, compare to your successful Le Jog um, record? Yeah, it's, I suppose there are some, there are some comparisons. I mean, the, especially at the start of the race, you definitely just feel like you're riding a 24 hour because the first shift is you know it's twin I think I rode for 22 hours or something like that um but I was very conscious of trying to go trying to kind of you know go very not very slowly but you know underpowered and be well aware that there was a long way to go um in fact it felt quite a lot easier than doing a 24 hour race because there's more to think about the navigation and it's a bit more interesting than just going round and round some loops I think it's the biggest difference is just that it's just that it got the kind of continuity of the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So with the end-to-end record, although it's on paper, it seems like a long time, it's all, there's all, it's all very intense. So there's never any real downtime. You know, you're concentrating on what's going on. You're concentrating on the project. You've got to do those 24 hours. And then by the time you've done those 24 hours, you've now got less than a day to go and there's an urgency and there's a record and there's a cutoff and there's other people there. It's all it's all very intense right up to the end. So you never have downtime. Whereas I think in the TCR, you, you by the very nature of it, you will have downtime. You'll have, you know, there was a day when we were riding across Italy and there was a tailwind. And bottom line, it's it's not very difficult. You're just sitting there very gently rolling the gear, just thinking about eating and drinking and so on. So the 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 overall intensity is much lower, both mentally and physically. It's just that it just goes on for so long. And I found it a struggle to be in the whole, in the race zone for that long. You know, I definitely had periods of time within the TCR where I wasn't in the race zone and I made mistakes and I zoned out and kind of just thought, oh, never mind, I'm just going to sit and have a pizza or something like that. And I think staying on top of that is very difficult. Because I think when you're doing supported racing, like a 24-hour or the end-to-end, having other people there really means it's not very difficult to stay in the race. They're there, they're telling you what's happening. You're very aware of them as part of the team and you don't want to let them down, so you're buying into their urgency, if you like. I remember uh, Anna Hauslock, I had her on the podcast and she said one of the the things that you have to... uh, do on the transcontinental is be prepared to eat seven days croissants she's like you have to you have to like the basically the croissants in a packet um i saw that some of your breakfasts were a little bit you know a little bit out there didn't you have a pepper one day for a breakfast yeah i was was, i just told i said just now about having a sore tongue i was really conscious of trying to have a balanced diet and trying trying to that's something from the start. I was like, right, I need to eat fruit and veg because I don't want to have problems going to the toilet. Um, I don't want to just survive on Haribo for 12 days because I'd heard these horror stories about people you know, getting sore ulcers and mouths and so on. And when you can get to a proper supermarket, like a Lidl or something like that, I was having kind of yogurt drinks or fruit drinks. I think all of that worked quite well. I think the nature of it as you get further east is... It, it does become a bit harder um, 
to be as varied. Um, but I did try. Um, I didn't mind the seven-day questions, to be honest. I thought they were quite nice. Um, I certainly ploughed my way through a good, a good stash of them. Um, and also they do these kind of seven days savoury pizza ring things. Um, I had a good few packets of those as well. Um, I think where I suffered was when I was dehydrated and because my hands started to hurt, I was finding it more harder and harder to drink water from my bottle. It was getting a, it was just becoming a hassle to get the bottle out and squeeze it into my mouth. And so I just ended up buying too many fizzy drinks. I think when it's really hot and you pull over, you just like, right, bottle of Coke, bottle of Fanta, this kind of stuff, and some Red Bull. And I now look back and think, I should have been making myself drink just more water then. Um, but it, it, it's hard to be as rational as you want to be. Um, and I wonder whether it was the fizzy drinks in the end that probably gave me the tongue problems and, and the mouth problems. But I, you, know, you don't know, do you? Um, I certainly wasn't eating as many fresh peppers and peaches in the last three or four days as I had been at the start. But pe peaches are a winner. I'm, I'm a big... Those flat peaches are lovely. They're so nice when you're riding along. They're great. And the, the one thing, um, you or your route would have gone through, uh, well, you went through Dermator, didn't you, which is in Montenegro. And um, the thing that surprised me about Montenegro, the bakeries. There are bakeries everywhere, open till 10pm. <laughs> yeah, there's um, any kind of fresh bakery product as well is so good, especially... You know, when you even the smell of a bakery, you get quite attuned. You know, you're barreling along, and then you suddenly get that sniff of fresh bread, and you're thinking, right, even if it wasn't on the plan, I need to get some of that because that smells so good. Der, der, you mentioned Dermatoy. Yeah. Honestly, that is of all the places. I, I mean, I travelled in Europe a bit before. Um, my wife and I went travelling in a gap year, but Dermatoy is just the most beautiful place. I mean, it, it's it's mind-bogglingly stunning. And when you come into Montenegro from the north and the first 20k or so to the checkpoint was winding in and out of these cliffs um, in this kind of huge chasm of a valley with a kind of perfect crystal blue water below you, 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 you takes your breath away. Um, I was kind of one, that was definitely the one place where I thought, you know what, if I, if I could come back somewhere perhaps on a bike, but with a bit more time and with some friends, that was where I'd return to because it was totally stunning. We did um, we did the Dermatour ring on e-bikes because that was all that was available, but I wasn't complaining. It was great. I'd never been on an e-bike. It was amazing. <laughs> well, that climb, the climb from the checkpoint up onto the top, I managed to hit a very hot part of the day. It was, it was fairly challenging. I was certainly very glad to get to the top. Yeah. Um, but at least... Being in National Park, there were some kind of little stalls and everything selling water and so on at the top. Was, I mean, there was a lot of locals there and a lot, and also a lot of tourists there visiting. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely amazing place. Oh, and how do you actually, Michael, how, how do you train for, for something like this? And did the training differ to, you know, your 24-hour time trials, your Le Jog, your Edinburgh, London? For me, so much of the bulk of my training is just riding to work and back. Okay. You know, I commute, even if I go the shortest way, it's an hour. And it's quite easy to beef that up to an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and a half. Um, and so I kind of always knew that that was going to be the main part of my training. Uh, I tried to get hold of the bike I was going to use three or four months beforehand. And 
I start, you know, I set the aero bars up and I put the bags on and I just was riding to work with it pretty much in a race setup, you know, with bits and pieces in the bike. So I got used to the weight of it, the handling of it, and I was riding it then 10, 12 hours a week just commuting. And then on top of that, I really just do turbo training. So I was just kind of doing the intensity on Zwift, you know, a few Zwift races and so on because I've always found that as long as you know, if you can do that and then you know that your kind of threshold power is quite high, then I'm pretty confident I'm gonna go okay. But equally I'm aware that quite a lot of that's just going to be the fact that I've been riding a bike to work and back for 20 odd years. So, you know, that's what that's what I'm used to. So no mega big rides at the weekend? No, I don't, I, don't, I very rarely do um, super long rides at all. When I'm training for 24 hours, I think my view was always that if you do a long ride, it, it takes quite a lot out of you in terms of physically and emotionally. It's quite hard to train properly for the next couple of days after that. I would always do one long ride before a 24 hour, maybe three weeks before. And by long ride, I mean about six or seven hours. But that would just be to give my kind of to renew my confidence that I was still able to eat and drink properly over that period of time that I could get the uh, stay in the position and all of that but I think as you've done it for longer and you've got the confidence that you can you know bottom line I know I can ride for 24 hours and so therefore what I really need to do is concentrate on getting myself in the best possible shape i.e getting my threshold as high as possible and getting rested and recovered rather than smashing myself with these long rides that just make me tired before the race. Um, but again, I'm really conscious that that's come from someone, you know, I've ridden 24 hours seven or eight times now, so I know that I can do it. Obviously, if it's someone doing it for the first time, I'm completely aware that there is a huge benefit of doing a long ride just to give yourself the confidence and also to get used to feeding and things like that. And in your actual, um, on your setup, on your bike, right, apart from things like the bike and, you know, the helmet and your bike shoes, right, what let's say like what five things would you definitely be taking on like the tcr an event like like that okay so one of the things i really screwed up in the tcr was my lighting i I was really confident in my lighting but the bracket failed and then the light fell off and then ended up getting damaged and i lost the cable and all of that stuff and so i would need to be if i went back again i would want to be a hundred percent on top of my lighting i would you know a much better bracket, a, a spare cable, and I, I think I let myself down there big time. So thinking about the lighting and probably looking at what the faster people are doing, I would consider switching to a dynamo light system. Um, I was reluctant to do that because I just was nervous about the costs of everything before the event and also I didn't know whether I'd ever use it again. But I think knowing that you've just got lights whenever you want them and you don't need to worry about that, has got a huge benefit and having stressed about lights for quite a lot of this event I could see that the dynamo lighting would be really good so that so lighting is my kind of number one thing I'd want to sort out what what worked well I was recommended some feed bags Um, I think they're by a company called Revelate I'm not sure but they sit behind your handlebars kind of they're the size of a mug a little bit bigger than a mug but quite soft and you can use those to put food in and then eat out of them. And they worked really well. Um, I was really pleased with those and kind of was able to put peanuts in them and everything and, and, and really 
meant that you could go into a shop and get going straight away afterwards, so they were good. Also, I found out I didn't really like using headphones because um, it was quite hot and just didn't want them in for so long, but I ended up putting my phone in one of the feed bags and then using it as a speaker, and it ended up like a little echo chamber, so I could ride along playing some music out of the food bag, which is quite good. All kinds of things. I, th- I, cr- I think I crossed the line listening to Matilda the Musical because I <laughs> promised my daughter that I was going to do that. So she was quite impressed. <laughs> Not sure anyone else did that. I think it. I think probably each of my children just has different songs that, that remind me of them. But that was the one that I think I cycled past some Romanian road workers who were quite bemused as I was singing revolting children at them. Um, I think you do definitely just slowly lose it in your in the head eventually, or I do anyway. Other good bits of kit. What was I pleased? I mean, the bike generally, I was really pleased with. The only I had problems with the tire, which was, the, and then lots of punctures after that. But I think I'd probably go for slightly hardier tires. Um, I took them a little bit more off-road than they were anticipating, and then that led to some issues. But again, it's quite hard to predict how that's going to go. If I, you know, I, I might have just been unlucky. I don't really know. But um, the bike generally was a good setup. Um, I, I took a pump that I bought from Asda about three years ago and it's been the best pump I've ever had in my life and that was about the only thing that kind of stood by me. So me and my Asda pump were doing pretty well. And then the last thing, I was pleased with my bivy setup. I had spoken to some people about bivying and they said the best way to do it is to have everything set up as your bivy and then roll it up as a unit. So I got myself one of these Sea to Summit inflatable mattresses and just a bivy bag and a liner because I knew it was going to be quite warm so I didn't have a sleeping bag I just had a bivy bag a liner and, a, and, a, and an inflatable mattress I rolled it all up as one and I had it in a in a kind of um, bag attached to the handlebars and actually it worked really well I could just pull over lie the bike down undo one end of that and pull out the whole sleep system unroll it and then blow it up and I could do that within four or five minutes so that was that was a really big success actually. And looking back, I probably should have bivied more than I did. I bivied the last two nights, um, and I think that once you get the confidence to bivy, you save a lot of time because you can literally do it right next to your route. You don't have to go off faffing around trying to find a hotel, and you don't have to do all the admin of you know passports and forms and all of this business. Um, I think the only real downside is it's quite hard to you know, get a shower or anything like that. But I bivvied um, on the penultimate night, I bivvied at a service station, okay. which was perfect, really. I, uh, that worked really well because then you can go in and use the washrooms in the service station and just get a kind of rudimentary wash and buy a coffee. And then you can be off and going again in 10, 10 15 minutes. So again, that's something I guess I've learned now is that I would have that confidence to perhaps go from bivying on more occasions. Now I've got confidence in the kit. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a Happy price. Got your happy price, price line. It's one of those things, though. Like, if you know, if you've never 
like if you've never done it before and you're doing this event which is so intense it's another I don't know it is again that step out the comfort zone isn't it like doing the event is a step out your comfort zone enough and then throwing the bivvying too it is something that if you haven't really done before it's not like I don't know you have to get used to it don't you yeah totally I think I think when I was when I started the event and when I was riding the first few days a hotel feels like a safe option it feels like a small sanctuary away from the event and you're I can definitely have a shower I can definitely get all my devices charged and stuff like that but actually like at the service station I could still get my devices charged and I could still wash it was just slightly more rudimentary and again it's just getting your head in the right place to to really stop wasting time all the time um but yeah I mean I've got this grand plan that I'm going to write down a big debrief of the whole event and note everything I should have done differently but I'm not quite sure when I'm going to find the energy to do that I'm going to have to do it before the start of term but we'll see you did so term there you do work as a teacher that is your job um I guess term time must be actually pretty sort of stressful with it'll be quite intense your job and then you've got four kids as well how do you find that balance <laughs> um yeah I mean, I've, it, it's it, it's ludicrous to be honest it, but ludicrous in a good way I'm, I'm very i'm very appreciative of having four fabulous children um i'm also a housemaster at work which means i have a really interesting job i'm kind of really involved in the pastoral side looking after the um pupils at work and trying to help them with what they're up to in their lives um but it does mean that life's fairly complicated especially as the children all have different things on different days of the week and need ferrying around both my older children are keen uh, water polo players and number three child is just about to start playing football and I think number four child's just about to start doing ballet so it's only going to get more complicated um but I you know I, I, I do I don't like it when parents complain about you know being too busy or or being run off the run off their feet because I do feel really strongly I'm super lucky to to have these children and to be able to share these adventures with them it's just you've got to commit everything really to doing that because because uh, you don't have any spare time but again that's why the commuting is so good for training because it if I was trying to do any other kind of training I would never be able to prioritize it I would always have to find reasons not to do it but because I need to get to work and need to get back it just happens and that means that even when you've got loads of other stuff on your plate you're still getting the basic baseline training done so i i'm really interested actually michael in the fact that you are a housemaster right do you think that you're like the pupils the boys do you think they maybe see you in a different light to some of the other teachers because of what you do outside of school or do you think you're just mr broadwith um I, I mean, I'm I'm lucky enough to work with lots of remarkable people that have lots of really varied and interesting um, lives in and out of school. Um, you know, one of my favourite things at work is just sitting down in the lunchroom and chatting to my colleagues about what they've been up to and what they do. Yeah, uh, some of the boys are really nice and they're really interested in what I've been doing out of school. I, historically, I always kept it quite separate. Um, didn't really talk about cycling at school and vice versa. 
and when I did the end-to-end -end, that kind of got a bit blown out of the water because it was pretty big news and also I had to take some time off work to do it I think that they were there lots of them will have followed this I did an assembly before I started about Mike Hall and about the history of the transcontinental race I didn't actually say that I was doing it I just kind of spoke to them about it but then I think some of them have picked up that I was doing it so with the pupils right even if they don't really know necessarily about it or you don't necessarily shout loads about what you do almost subconsciously is there something that you would love them to actually take from it yeah i've done a couple of assemblies about not trying to use the bike roads as a metaphor if you like um i would always say to anybody that the the, the thing about a bike is that it broadens your horizons and it allows you to make remarkable journeys and that's right from you know if you're a t you know seven or eight year old kid who's got that opportunity to use your own power to get somewhere right and, you know when you're at university it's a good way of escaping on a holiday for a few weeks and then as an adult perhaps going to visit places and seeing them in a different light. I mean, I, I would love anyone to just jump on their bike um, and use that as a method to go and explore perhaps further than they could using other other ways. Um, the, I mean, it's hard, isn't it? Because it still scares me. There's a group of boys at school who are in year 12, now going into year 13, so they're 17, 18 year olds and they're in my house and they love their cycling, but they live in North London. And so cycling to school from North London it's really hard. It scares me thinking of them doing that because the roads aren't necessarily a very um, friendly or or safe place for them to be. Um, and it's hard because you, you want to promote cycling and you want to promote outdoor activity and everything. But then the reality of life in North London doesn't necessarily match up to this kind of idyllic um, transport that you you paint a picture of. So it is, it's nuanced and it's complicated. But yeah, I, I would always want people to have that confidence to try and just go on longer journeys than they've been on before and to explore places they haven't been to before, if that makes sense. Because I, I love the fact that actually biking or cycling, it wasn't part of your life until you had graduated. Like you were a rower, you rode for Oxford, didn't you? And then your parents gave you a bike as a present when you graduated and it all sort of started from there. Um, yeah, that's right. No, I mean, I I mean, I had a bike when I was a teenager, but just a bike for kicking around on and, you know, going to friends' houses and something. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't get a, a road bike, if you like, until, um, until I graduated. Yeah, that was from my parents. And I've done all kinds of racing. Um, I really, really enjoy track racing as well on the velodrome. There's a velodrome near where I grew up. Um, the velodrome's in Welling Garden City and the, the club there has got a you know, proud history of lots and lots of really good riders have come from that club and I think another thing about cycling is there's just so many varied ways of experiencing it and so many different um, different things that you can get up to I, I've taken children from school to velodromes uh, both in Wales and in London and it's amazing you can take I used to take a group of girls who are kind of 13, 14, 15 years old, and they would arrive at the velodrome scared stiff of the banking, and within an hour and a half, they would be doing flying laps and doing points races and all of this stuff, and just absolutely barreling around the velodrome with a huge grin on their faces. I mean, 
the experience of riding fixed wheel on an in, on an indoor velodrome is it's just amazing. You can't believe how fast you can go and how exciting it is. And um, in terms of giving an experience to children, it's, they love it, absolutely love it. And they and it's that pride of walking away knowing that they've conquered their fears and had this like unbelievable experience that you know they're just going to be telling telling everyone about. It's a really cool thing. Oh, yeah, that. That is, it is amazing that a little thing like that can actually have a profound impact on on someone. And I think that for you as a teacher, like that must be really, really rewarding, actually. Yeah, no, I love it. And, you know, I'm lucky enough that on my current job, I get to do mountain biking every Wednesday afternoon as well. And so I get to take a group of boys out mountain biking. And it's quite hard to believe that I've landed myself in a job where that's work. Um where you know you get to take a group of 12 boys out around the bridleways for a couple of hours on a Wednesday afternoon and same you know cycling provokes conversation as well so you're riding along you're chatting you you're able to talk to them about what they're up to what they're worried about what they enjoy and get some exercise and also get some fresh air and explore so yeah it's a it's there's, there's so many benefits and again mountain biking is another type of cycling and another type of adventure so and, and that's actually something I've not really done very much of until the last couple of years. And I've really enjoyed it. I do want to take you to Scotland with not long to go on your Land's End John O'Groats. And you, I think, pull over into a lay-by and you're in your head, you're like, I'm done. I'm absolutely done. And your wife, Helen, says, Michael, can you cycle and a, another 20 minutes. I think you had like 11 hours to go or something like that. Take us to, to that point, because I think it's really interesting, almost like that power of the mind and just one person, one person going, but come on. <laughs> yeah, strange that your these kind of key moments in your life can be distilled down to those, yeah, that exact pinpoint um, spot. We... When we did the end-to-end, we the first 24 hours of the end-to-end went super well, and we were, you know, we'd reached Scotland inside 24 hours, and we'd got into the the hills below Edinburgh, um, and we couldn't really believe how well it was going. We were well up on schedule. I think we were nearly an hour up on schedule, and the uh, we didn't really know what was coming. But then it started raining, and it started it just rained and rained and rained and rained. And I kept having to stop and change my kit. Um, I must have, I can't remember, I went through kind of seven or eight pairs of gloves or something like that. I remember they were going to shops to try and buy more gloves. And the waterproofs, they were trying to dry the waterproofs in the van on the heaters and all of this stuff. So it was pouring with rain, but I was still okay. I didn't mind riding in the rain, but then I had these problems with my neck. And I was really, because of the rain, um, I was really struggling to hold my neck up. And I felt like I was just getting slower and slower. I mean, in reality, I wasn't actually getting much slower, but it was really hard to keep an eye on the road in front. And I think the, the way I described it to people before was I felt like, you know, if you do a bike race, you've got this kind of fire burning inside you, like a flame that keeps you going. And I felt that that flame was going out and I couldn't, I couldn't stay motivated. I couldn't stay warm. I couldn't stay on top of wanting to do it. And I remember riding through Perth which is the start of the Highlands, and just having all these thoughts about how, oh, we should definitely stop now. There's going to be some hotels here. We can just get everyone into hotels and 
call it a day, like this is stupid. And the problem was every time I saw my support crew, I kept stopping to talk to them about like how crap I felt or something like that. And so they knew that I was having, so then they stopped being in the lay buys. So, because they knew I was going to stop. So I just started feeling really lonely and, and down. And after a few conversations, I remember we'd had this agreement beforehand that if, if it was not going to happen, it would be between me and my teammate, Tim, and then Helen, the three of us would have to agree that it was going to be over. And I, you know, I'd long decided it was all over. And eventually we got to this lay by and we pulled over and I, I remember looking really intensely at Tim and saying, come on, Tim, look, if you, if you were me, you'd stop, wouldn't you? This is stupid. And he, he folded and said, you know what? Yeah, I would like, you know, I would call it a day. And then I looked at Helen and, and, and I, I could see the intensity in her eyes and I knew what she, I knew what she was going to say. And I was almost pleading with her to let me stop because I felt like it was a lost cause. But she knew the numbers and she also knew that I was still travelling fast enough. But she had to try and find some way of, I guess, lighting that fire inside me again. <laughs> and she kind of just, yeah, she looked at me and she said, look, forget about everything else. Do you think that you can, do you think you can even ride for 20 minutes? And, and I think what she managed to trigger was a kind of indignation in me, I thought. I almost was like, don't you understand? Of course I can ride for 20 minutes. It's the fact that I've got to do another 11 hours I'm worried about. And, and I kind of just said, yeah, of course I can ride for 20 minutes. She said, well, go on then. Get on your bike and ride for 20 minutes. And I remember almost get, I almost remember jumping on a bike and thinking, right, I'll show you. I'll show you I can ride for 20 minutes. And somehow that determination to prove to her that I could do 20 minutes that that fire that had gone out was suddenly like raging again and and the, and then it stopped raining and then the sun came out and I remember taking a waterproof off and eating some food and drinking again and before you know it you're back in the headspace of right let's get this done and when you're on an event like that they not only are you dependent on the support crew but they're dependent on you as well and I remember going through another lay-by and they were looking quite nervous. And I just gave this big shout and a clenched fist. And they like erupted in excitement and enthusiasm. It's like they were so worried that I wasn't in the game anymore. And, and I'd somehow pulled my head together and, and was determined then to, to make it happen. And really from then, I, I, I never looked back. I mean, I, I was obviously still struggling with my neck. But you, they, they were then more doubtful than I was because I was able to work out the speed I was going at and what was to come and I became and that confidence changes everything because once you start thinking oh you know what actually I can do this you know it's yeah it's 120 miles but I've got this much time and I know that the biggest hills are behind me and anyway my legs still feel okay and I can still climb it's, it's, it's going to be okay and I've always, I was almost then telling them actually you know what this is all right I'm going to make it it's fine um they didn't necessarily get that message. I think I've read the WhatsApp group afterwards. I think they were still quite panicked until until only a couple of hours to go. But um, obviously, everyone's everyone's been up for about two and a half days with no sleep, so it's all go it all goes slightly haywire. I I just think that is such a powerful message, though, because people listening to this, you know, they they might be I don't know doing an Ironman. They've perhaps done an Ironman. They can possibly totally relate that you know those voices in your head and you're in this space and you or any race really you're just thinking oh, i'm just going to bin this off and then actually no you can turn that 
around. You really can. It's not easy, but you can turn it around. Oh, yeah. So I think one of the things that Helen was worried about with me doing the TCR was how I was going to manage with those kind of emotional lows by myself. Um, I definitely did have them. Um, I think the one in particular I had when we just heading out of Montenegro, actually, and into Serbia, I had really enjoyed Montenegro, but I was a bit stressed about my rear tyre. It was a bit damaged. And looking back now I, I became a bit obsessed by the cascade effect where like if stuff starts to go wrong it just causes other stuff to go wrong and then eventually you end up risking something really big going wrong but because i was stressed about my tire in montenegro i then spent too long at the checkpoint i didn't eat enough food at the checkpoint and i was too late going over the parkour so then when i arrived in the village on the other side i was i was really hungry and I ended up just sitting in a restaurant, which was really slow service. And I hadn't sorted out my accommodation and I wasted quite a lot of time. But also I never really quite had enough food. The restaurant food was rubbish. So when I woke up the next morning, I just felt really down. And I was riding along, basically planning how I was going to scratch. And like, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to go to an airport. I'm just going to fly home. This is crap. I'm not enjoying it. But then I was caught by a rider who's now, as a result of the race, is now a friend of mine, a guy called Colin. And he came alongside and I'd met him previously in Italy and he was like, oh, you know, good to see you. How's it going? And I was like wittering on some nonsense about how I was going to scratch and go to an airport or whatever. And he looked at me and he just said, look, there's a petrol station coming up in six kilometres. We're going to get to that petrol station. You're going to go in there and you're going to eat some chocolate and you're going to eat some crisps and you can have a cup of coffee and then let's see how you feel. And it was just a proper stern talking to that I needed. Because I, we then arrived at the petrol station and he was laughing because I was literally going in and I think I opened some crisps before I'd even paid for them and I was just stuffing them into my mouth. And then by the end of that petrol station visit, I got a massive grin on my face and I'm like, right, let's get this race going then. And I think it, it makes you realise that, you know, at the bottom of all of it, I think we're all quite simple. And I think if, if you do eat and drink properly, that does make a huge, huge difference. And it's so easy to forget that and, you know, I, I was amazed. I'm so pleased that Colin turned up at that moment and sorted me out um, because it was exactly what I needed. I, I, just, I just neglected some stuff because I was concentrating on other stuff. Final question. If people listening to this have done a 10-mile time trial, maybe they've done a 25-mile TT, why should they give a 12-mile or a 24-hour a crack? I think that the just a sense of adventure really, in the sense of unknown and the sense of achievement and the the kind of the narrative that goes with a longer event is always interesting i mean i you know if you do a, when you do a 12 hour they're, they're really hard events and they they you can really push yourself for 12 hours and you can achieve stuff you never thought that would be you know within the realms of possible the idea that you can get up in the morning and ride you know close to 300 miles or 250 miles or over 200 miles, doesn't really matter, all day and then feel totally spent by the end of the day. It's a pretty unique feeling. And I think you will necessarily probably have people that come with you and there's a good team aspect to it and there's a good adventure aspect to it. And I think it's just a, a, a very different experience and it's still cycling and it's still time trialing, but it's, it leads you down a different path and it's worth doing just for the adventure. I know some people have done 12 hours and they've sworn they'll never do another one again. But other, you know, 
for other people, perhaps like me, it's a bit of a gateway drug. And then you end up doing longer and longer stuff um, because you kind of start to get this, you start to question to yourself, don't you? How far could I go? What, what could I manage to race? What, where does it start? What, what happens, I suppose? I think the, the, the lure of the 24 hour as well, which is really special, is that there is something really, really cool about racing through the night. Um, it, it, it's, it, it's such a special feeling to be racing at two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning and you think, golly, all the normal people are at home asleep in their beds and here are we barreling around this course um, racing. And there's something nice in life about doing something that's not normal and something that perhaps other people haven't done. And I think, you know, the 24 hour is mind blowing in terms of sitting down afterwards and totting up how far you've ridden. You just like, wow, you know, the idea that you've ridden 450, 500, more than 500 miles in a day is, is bananas. And it's kind of the, the camaraderie in that event is what drew me into everything really. I, I, the first time I rode that event, I've never, I'd never ridden a time trial where when you ride past people, everybody's cheering everybody else on and you have a kind word for everyone and they have a kind word back for you and all of the supporters are cheering all of the riders. It's, it's a really, really unique and special event and it's got such history. You know, you can look up the same events that happened in the 1930s, the 1940s, the 1950s, and they're still going. And I felt very privileged to be part of it, very privileged to kind of help carry that, um, carry that um, passion forward as, as small, in a small part as one of the participants. It, you know, I'd recommend that to anyone. Michael, I am a big fan of your passion and I think you might have planted a seed or two for some people listening to this. So thank you very, very much for taking the time to have a chat. That's okay. I'll just say um, that I'm, I mean, I'm on Twitter, um, quite easy to get hold of. Or you, you, know, you can Google my name. I don't think there's many Michael Broadwiths drifting around the place. But if anyone's interested in doing specifically 24-hour race or also RRA records, please do get in touch and I do whatever I can do to help them access those events. Um, and it would be my pleasure to, to help people do that because I love, love seeing people try them and love, you know, seeing people go out on their own adventures. Michael Broadwith, what a guy. If you have enjoyed that episode I mentioned just before, you might like to go back and find episode number 65 with Anna Haslock who is the race director of the TCR or the Transcontinental Race. And I really, really cannot recommend highly enough. Episode 69, that is with 2019 Transcontinental Race winner Fiona Kolbinger. And it is absolutely up there with my all-time favourite interviews over the past nearly three years of doing the Inside Tri Show. Thanks for listening to the Inside Tri Show. If you want to get in touch or get a little bit more information on anything, then reach out to Helen on Instagram or Twitter at Inside Tri Show. Thank you for the kind messages about the old broken wrist. Stephen, yours made me smile. You said, ouch, ouch, shite, in brackets, Scottish, happens. Crying and cursing is essential in recovery. Thanks also for sharing your success and coping with adversity. It is equally inspiring. Speedy recovery, Helen. P.S. And then Stephen sent me um, a few photos. He said, a couple of scenic Argyle photos as a healing balm. 
I really appreciated that. Um, so, yeah, what can I tell you? I mean, I've been absolutely hammering the Welsh and lots of walks. And this coming week, my mum and I are going to be walking some of the North Wales coastal path. We were going to be cycling across the North Wales coastal path over a couple of days, but obviously I can't do that yet. So walking it is. We will change our plans. We will take some trains and we will get walking. I did actually do, this is very exciting, my first run back the other day, still with a cast on. And uh, it is really, for me, there is no point in being stupid. So I did actually wait until the doctor said, yes, you can run now. So it was only 15 minutes and um, it was horrible. <laughs> the wrist felt fine. It was the legs. Felt horrendous. Absolutely awful. I don't know if it was just not having run for three weeks or if I had done a few too many squats in some of the workouts that I'd done that week. I don't know. Felt horrible. Um, but the good news is I went again the next day and I did 25 minutes and it felt all right. And I wasn't looking at my watch thinking, oh, when is this horrendous thing going to end? So, yeah, this is positive, very positive. The other thing, if you know someone who's broken a wrist, get a limbo or a leg or something. Get something called a limbo. It's like a flashy thing so you can have a shower and it's got like a wetsuit top to it. So you can, not a top, like almost the the very top of this. It's like a glorified plastic bag, but then with a little wetsuit ceiling at the top so then you can still have a shower so that's been cool still can't really tie my hair back I've kind of figured out a li- I can I've got a little bit more dexterity now in my right hand so but I can't I'm not tying my hair back with my right hand but we're getting there on that front um and I think aside from all the positive stuff actually the reality like that but it's all you know that's all true and everything like that one big reality though oh my goodness my sleep is absolutely shocking and I am struggling big time on the lack of sleep front um so yeah I just cannot wait to get the cast off so then hopefully I can actually have a good night's sleep because I can't sleep how I do normally and it's it's just rubbish and almost the point of like dreading going to sleep so yeah that's fun (laughs) anyway I don't want to be negative. So you can get 10% off everything, by the way, at resilientnutrition.com. Just use the code InsideTry10. Comfuel.co.uk will give you some money off with the code InsideTry. You can get 10% off with lifejacketskin.com. Just use the code InsideTry. They're all in the show notes. That is it for another week, though. You can still go... uh, swimming for me and biking outside for me I can now tick off the running so don't worry about that but yeah go swimming for me go cycling outside for me and if you do have any running questions let me know helen at insidetryshow.com if you're racing good luck enjoy keep smiling and we'll catch up again next week sports social podcast network